Initializing host playback. Welcome to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast, the podcast about all things metal and everything in between. I've been told I have a weird stripper kind of radio voice. You know the voices that you hear on the DJ from the DJ booth in a strip club? That's my voice, apparently. Uh, it's episode 45 of the podcast, and we're starting to ramp things back up a bit more since the last time. Lots of good stuff ahead. On the docket for tonight, APOC just wrapped up their Eastern Canadian tour with Carrie and Vale. Let's go back in time to when they were just about to kick off the tour. Plus, Forlison joined us a bit further back. Let's check in with band member Ascalifus and talk about their latest release, Black Terrain. We'll also finally talk about that new Avenged album, and we have your thoughts on bands using backing tracks. All this and so much more. So let's not waste much more time and let's get into the show. I'm Tom McKay, and this is the Metal Robot Podcast. And as mentioned, we're going to start with the reviews here, but we're not bringing back the reviews in full just yet. But this particular album, I just, I could not avoid talking about it as a fan, as someone whose metal history is indebted to this band, and as someone who has a lot of thoughts about this album. We need to talk about Avenged Sevenfold's Life's But a Dream. See, here's the thing that I I just cannot wrap my head around with this album. It is an album that should work on paper. I mean, these guys are not unknown to the idea of writing progressive music. I mean, if you look back at the stage, that is probably the most progressive they've ever gone. And even well before that, you could argue their 2005 output, City of Evil, was a prog album too, at least uh, at least more mainstream kind of prog, something that's more digestible, something that's more uh, approachable to, to the, the average listener. Here, though, it looks like they've gone full fucking acid trip bananas here, and it's hard to really digest exactly why they went this route and why, as well, it doesn't seem to work as well. When it came to the first single, Nobody, the first single was okay. I remember when I did my reaction video for it on the main YouTube channel, uh, a lot of thoughts that I had, a lot of my thoughts for that album were, I mean, for that song, it was okay. I mean, I... It was good. It was pretty good. It was definitely experimental, and that was something that was new and interesting to hear, but I wasn't sure if I was fully on board as of yet. You're going to hear my cat in the background. Hope you don't mind, because here's the thing. It's, it's really hard to attach to, and that's something that they warned about for sure, but they also said the same thing for the stage, and while some people would definitely agree with that, here I don't know if that's actually going to be the case here. When it comes to this out, this particular song, uh, nobody even just the first go around. One of the things that I was worried about, first and foremost, and this is something I talked about with Colin Sterling here on the podcast too, it's that it's an out. It seems like something that just it reminds me a lot of "Hail to the King" in that it's a song that I can't immediately picture why. I'm not fully into it and why it's not clicking with me, and yet I know it's good. It became even more apparent when the next song came uh, came out, which was, if I got to pull up the song list here, because I completely forgot, but it was uh, We Love You, I believe, was the song that came out. Hi, Mau Mau. Uh, and this, this is my cat in the background. Um, 
Yeah, we love you. And that song, there's no way I can describe that song in a way that makes sense even in the podcast form. The only way that, that comes to mind for me is that it's basically the musical interpretation of an ADHD dream. That's the best way I could put it. And before anybody gets mad, hey, I have ADHD. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about here. I seem to be I'm possibly one of the foremost experts on this particular topic of musical interpretations of ADHD dreams. Because my God, that's the only way I can describe that song. The rest of the album kind of follows suit where it's an album that doesn't really know what it wants to be. Does it want to be prog? Does it want to be more uh, like something of a metal album? Does it want to be kind of experimental? It doesn't seem to understand what it wants to be. And that's kind of the biggest draw of this album. It's an experiment that wasn't sure where it wanted to go, what kind of result it wanted to have. And that is, in my opinion, one of the biggest drawbacks of this album is that it is all over the place, but not in a good way. And if that's coming from me, the guy who has ADHD and understands that uh, and wants something new, wants something different, and also is able to figure out pretty quickly when something is way all over the place and wants you to kind of stay on topic. That's kind of one of the biggest issues I have here. So for an Avenged Sevenfold album, I think it's definitely the most experimental, the most out there. I don't know if I'll ever, if I'll end up coming back to this album a whole lot, though. The stage was a good example of great Avenged Sevenfold Prague. This is... I don't really know what to think about this one. Uh, as far as a rating goes, I got to say for a full, excuse me, for a full album uh, rating, I got to say probably a 12 out of 15. Like, no, that's even that's being too generous. Maybe a 10 out of 15 because it's definitely still a good album. It's got obviously great musicianship. The songwriting just wasn't focused. And I think that's one of the biggest drawbacks for this event sevenfold album. But what about you? Have you even heard the album yet? If so, what are your thoughts on this album? I'd love to hear from the, I'd love to hear from you on this one. Use the hashtag MRPA7X on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're on Instagram, yeah, let me know what you think there as well. I've got a post there on the on the Instagram page. You can also tag me at the Metal Robot on Facebook and Twitter at the dot Metal Robot on Instagram. And I know there are thoughts on this band whether they are supposed to be a metal band or not. That's not really something I care about here. Here, it's mostly just an interesting case study of a band wanting to do prog things, but forgetting how to do it. Know what albums I should take a rusty pickaxe to? I mean, take a look at next. Bad albums beware. Request them anytime online, and you can hear your favorites hacked to pieces. I mean, discussed. Why do I keep doing that? Discussed right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. All right, let's get back to the Great White North because, okay, slight bias, but also an awesome tour just wrapped up here in Eastern Canada. It's the Awakening of Horns in the Atlantic tour, headlined by progressive death metal band APOC and tech death band Carrion Vale. They were just joined as well by a couple of awesome groups that you need to check out, such as Eaten by Sharks and Raider for the first couple of shows. The tour kicked off here in Hamilton back in May and just wrapped up recently in New Brunswick. But a few months back, just before they left, I sat down with APOC to talk about the tour as they were getting ready to set sail. 
So let's go back in time to that interview and sit down with vocalist and fretless bassist Brett McIntosh, probably named by Steve Jobs, and talk about all of that right here on the Metal Robot Podcast. Brett, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So one of the things I always try to start off with for these interviews is always uh, a brief introduction of APOC. So we only have you today, but I'm sure that's not going to be a problem for uh, giving us a brief introduction of the band and also what kind of sound fans should expect when they go check you out. Yeah, absolutely. No, I... uh it's not going to be a problem just having me. I've, I've been in the band since uh, the inception. Uh, it's been me and the drummer, Greg, uh, since the inception. And uh, so we're like kind of a progressive death metal. And uh, we've had a couple lineup changes over the years. But some people kind of compare us to death beyond creation. I play fretless bass and do vocals, uh, but there's lots of melody in the in the guitar. And... Uh, yeah, it's not overly technical, but some people call it technical death metal. Well, I actually do have a question here because I think this the, you're the first fretless bass player I've had on the show. What is the difference between okay. a fretless bass and a bass with frets? Well, um, when you're playing the fretless bass, the bass that I play in APOC has the lines, which they're called the false frets. Um, mm -hmm. So you actually need to put your finger exactly on the line. So it's even harder when you're playing a bass that, with a blank neck because then it's all feel and all... Uh, all like ear mm -hmm. um so because i'm doing vocals and playing the bass i like to kind of look out of the corner of my eye and it's helpful to have the lines um but yeah you have to be directly on the line whereas if you're playing the fretted instrument you want to be like more in the middle or it might buzz if you're right on the fret oh. so it's kind of weird for some people to get used to uh like if you've never played a fretless they don't know that you have to be right on or it's not going to be uh tune properly or worse if you have never played bass before and you start playing the fretless bass plus yeah because you have to be so exact it's a little bit more tiring on the hands than just playing oh. a normal bass oh i can imagine like i i, I don't know if you I, I i play guitar and that's mm -hmm. already tiring as it is just being able to just playing that on its own i can't even imagine if they came out with like a fretless guitar and i had to learn how to play that I've seen, well, the guy who used to be in Obscura played a fretless guitar. I think he just did it on a couple songs, so. Of course, there's a fretless guitar up there. God yeah. damn it. I know my bandmates would love to try one. Oh, I'm sure they would. That they're would just, be. They're just those kind of guys. <laughs> that would that would definitely make things more, uh, so interesting. Um, so, so you were there since the beginning. How did APOC come together uh, as a band? And what was your main musical inspiration? Uh, well, so. It's kind of a funny story how APOC came together because right now in <clears throat> the band's been around for just over 10 years, but it's kind of come full circle. So me and our current guitar player, Ben, who just mm -hmm. joined the band last year, but we used to have a band. He's like my longtime close friend. And we used to have a band when we were in high school. So like 14, 14, maybe 15 years ago, we had a band together. He moved away. He went to school for classical guitar. That band kind of dissipated. And then the other guitar player in that band ended up doing a different project too, but I kind of carried over uh, with Ben's wishes, brought a handful of those songs over to APOC. Um, and then me and another guy who was, his band was just breaking up um, from a different city nearby. We kind of met, he just moved close to me at the time and we just formed the band. And then Craig, my drummer, who I said has been with it since the beginning, um, and another guitar player, Bobby, 
Bobby and myself were in another band in high school. Uh, so we, we remained friends after that band broke up. And Bobby and this drummer, Greg, they had a, um, an ad on some, some site on like a classifieds ad online. I don't remember what website, but the other guitar player, his name was Chris. Me and Chris started jamming after my band with Ben kind of fell apart. And then Bobby and Greg were jamming and Chris answered an ad online that one of those guys had posted. And that same weekend that Chris answered the ad, I ran into Bobby and Greg at a show or something. And we're like, Oh, we should jam. So the same weekend that I ran into them, <clears throat> my new bandmate, Chris had uh, answered their ad. So it all, the stars kind of aligned. And we, we all met up. We're like, we all, we all talked at the same time. This is great. So Fuck it's yeah. all just been going since then. Uh, Chris had to leave eventually because he had a kid and couldn't balance the time. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it came about. Um, now we've had lineup changes over the years. Um, we're all still good friends to everyone who's been in the band. But uh, now Ben's back in the band 10 years later after the band's inception. So it's just really cool how things kind of come full circle, right? Now, from what I understand, APOC is going on tour pretty soon. Uh, you're playing in Eastern Canada. This is the Eastern Canadian tour. Um, yes. And you're, and from what the post said on Facebook, this is the first time you're doing an Eastern Canada tour. So what are you most yes. excited about on this tour? Um, well, uh, I will speak for myself and for what I think the band feels. Now, personally, um, my family is from the East Coast. Um, like, so my dad is coming to that show. Uh, sorry, my dad is coming to the Halifax show specifically. Uh, he lives about an hour from there. So I'm really excited to see my dad and just see the area around there. <clears throat> it's kind of like my happy area, that area of the country. Um, for the band, I'm really excited to play the shows in New Brunswick because I think the fans there are going to be really good. And I think that uh, most promoters just seem really eager. Um, I, I attended, <clears throat> excuse me. I attended a show in Fredericton, which we're playing Fredericton. I attended a show this past summer and it was great. So that's actually kind of what motivated me that. And then a couple of weeks later in my hometown, I uh, promoted a show hosting Carrion Vale, the band that we're now touring with. Those two events kind of fired me up and uh, we, we really hit it off good with Carrion Vale. They kind of expressed that that show was great. The two local bands I put on the show were awesome new local bands, but they kind of expressed they're a little bit disappointed that they couldn't play the show with them. Um, so we kind of hit it off and planned the tour. Oh yeah. And um, so yeah. So sorry to, 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 to paraphrase the band. Yeah. I think is most excited for the new Brunswick shows. Cause I think they're going to be really killer. I think so too. I have not actually been uh, out there, but it's very obvious that it's, it's pretty clear to me, at least, that you guys uh, really wanted to hit New Brunswick because looking at the lineup, I mean, sure, it's mostly in Ontario. I mean, the first show mm -hmm. as well here in Hamilton. But yep. once once you get past Quebec, you're in New Brunswick for the rest of it, except for, of course, a detour to Halifax. Exactly. We even tried to get a show in uh, St. John on the Monday, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get a last minute show. But it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to get Monday shows. But I, I think one of the big things that one of the things I like about this about the the tour lineup that uh not the band lineup of course the band lineup <laughs> fucking phenomenal but the lineup as a whole of like the dates and the places you're mm -hmm. going 
it definitely fills out the Eastern Canadian geography as much as humanly possible, uh, which, uh, of course, as we mentioned, you're going to Ontario, then going to Quebec, heading to New Brunswick, uh, detour to Nova Scotia and back to Moncton. Um, but what I, I like that because usually when bands announce, like, say, for uh, over a certain geography, they don't usually go over the majority of the geography, such as mm-hmm. the the infamous North American tour where they just play all U.S. And eh, if we have time, let's go to Edmonton and Toronto. Let's, that, that's, exactly, we yeah. can add those in. Never Mexico. Never Mexico. Mexico, no. <laughs> Which is still part of North America. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I think yeah. when it comes to this, like what, aside from what you were talking about as well, now the, the place that you're going just being such great places to go. Um, when you were planning out the tour, was, was the diverse city selection also important when you were planning it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Like I, I, I really wanted to play most of the cities that we we did book in uh, in New Brunswick. To be honest, the, the Caracat date just kind of fell into my lap, and uh, the promoter was really eager, and everything just kind of worked out. That's not really a date that I sought out, but it, it, I think that show is going to be killer nonetheless. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I did have it in mind to play like pretty vast area over there. But unfortunately, like it would be sweet to play. I'm I'm glad that you said what you said about it covering last year. It'd be sweet to play like Newfoundland. And I know there are a handful of people, maybe more than a handful of people that are disappointed about that. Uh, and I do apologize about that. But we we literally would have had to extend the tour logistically by one to two more weeks just to make it happen. Like take a couple of days off just to get there. It's a bigger province than I realized. I was looking at it. So like, you're, you're going to play maybe a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or maybe take three days off, right? So you're playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday across the province. Once you get to St. John's, you play Saturday in St. John's. Then you got to backtrack because I don't, I don't think there's a ferry back from, from St. John's. You got to go all the way back to the western side of the province. So it's quite the trek. You'd need to add a whole nother week and then you're a whole nother week of travel time back across the eastern side, right? So Yeah, and logistically and that, speaking, that that's... Makes, you got to ask everyone to pay more too. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's in like adding two weeks to a tour. It's not just like you're picking days where you're like, let's go travel to these places. Mm -hmm. You're like, it's actual uh, money exchanging hands at that point. You're going back and forth. Like we got to pay these people, these people for all those extra days, Uh, which is, I I think is, yeah, as you said, understandable why you couldn't go to Newfoundland or PEI, I'm guessing. Uh, Well, it was a, it was a brief consideration, but it's just, again, a bit of a detour. Yeah. It yeah. would have had to be like I have friends uh, who have played PEI, but it basically would have had to be a weekend. That's that's the thing about the East Coast is everyone wants you on the weekend, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm very grateful that we even got the Fredericton show on the Thursday. But um, the the promoter who's doing that show through the show that I attended last year, and uh, he he told me that there's like a, there's a scene in Fredericton for Thursday shows, so. And uh, I don't know. This guy's a hardworking promoter. He seems like their scene's really growing. This guy's name is uh, Cujo Bonby, and he plays in a band called uh, uh, Cave Dweller, I think. So shout out to him. He's really hardworking. Oh, hell yeah. You got to love hardworking people in the industry. That's always what makes everything just so much, so much more smooth for the talent, uh, I think. Um, So on this tour, of course, as with all these places, there's a lot of people in... uh, uh, all these other places are very excited. I saw 
Even on the Facebook post, there was someone commenting like, fuck yeah, Halifax, finally, I can't wait. And on Instagram, there were people like asking, where can I get tickets? Where can I get tickets? So when they actually get to your show, uh, whether they've seen you before or they uh, are just discovering your live performance for the first time, what can these fans expect to see? Well, um, we're really friendly. I'm usually at the merch table, so I'd like to say hi. Uh, we have a pretty good selection of merch. We'll have uh, some new new shirts specifically for the tour, uh, Carrionville. Uh, when I hosted them last year, they have rad shirts too. So you can expect, yeah, to see a lot of really cool merch. And I want to emphasize, we do need the support, the merch support. So yeah. <laughs> uh, if you like what you see, buy it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Like we have unique items uh, besides shirts. We got like beer glasses, cozies, uh, uh, patches, bunch of cool stuff. But what else? Uh, like now we, it's kind of going to be an alternating co-headliner tour. So. Some nights Carrie and Bale will headline, some nights we're going to headline. So some nights we'll play a longer set. Um, we're going to play a mix of like just a little bit of everything from all of our 10 years. And uh, yeah, a little bit of banter. I just, we're not, we're not like, uh, I don't put on like the angry stage voice. Like we're, we're all natural and we just try to have fun. And uh, yeah, the, my guitar players rip. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just a bass player, so I can say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it gives you the unique opportunity to do so. I think yeah. we've come to expect <laughs> Okay, we'll stop right there for now and pick up with Brett in the next episode. Though, I didn't see them on this tour, unfortunately. That was a big missed opportunity. If you ever get the chance to see them live, do it. Honest to God, do it. I once saw them opening for Lutero at the Absinthe here in Hamilton. It's a hell of a show that they put on, and it's the ins it's insane level of talent that they have. Okay, coming up, we have your thoughts on backing tracks, and we get on the doom metal train to talk with For the Sin about their latest album, Black Terrain. This is the Metal Robot Podcast. We'll be right back. 15 plus artists. Multiple cultures. Multiple languages. One. Almost unpronounceable name. mother. What the fuck does it say? It's pronounced homoiosis. How? There's 20 O's. It's Latin. What'd you expect? The ultimate collaboration project of 2022. Homoiosis, a symphonic, death, blackened, thrashing, grooving core fest. What genres? Ever wanted to take Metal Robot interviews on the go, but had this happen? Dead? I charged this last night, for fuck's sake! Well, we can't stop a bad phone battery. You can take the interviews you love with you wherever on MRP Throwbacks. Be sure to hit save for when you want this on your evening drive to the venue. I'm just a troll. Like, I just I just don't give a, a crap. Can I say that? <laughs> uh, honestly, I've been saying fuck this entire time, so by all means. <laughs> MRP Throwbacks, only on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. My cat's just going to be here for the majority of this, I can guarantee it. Hello, Violet. Uh, and we're back on the Metal Robot Podcast. Tom McKay with you on this beautiful evening. Summertime season, as always, is pretty nice, especially for concerts. 
I can only imagine just the stark difference between doing concerts live uh, in the outdoors or indoors. And I got to tell you, I love the outdoors a bit more. Not a big fan of the bugs, but when you're doing a concert outside, you get to mosh on in the great outdoors. You can avoid the smell of BO from your fellow brothers and sisters because it's not as potent as the smell of tobacco and beer and the music as well. It can be heard for miles, even like almost as if it's right next to you. But there's an issue when it comes to live concerts, whether indoors or outdoors, about backing tracks. It's a discussion that goes amongst many metal fans, especially amongst avid concert goers. And when we're talking backing tracks, you know, the stems from the studio, the instruments that you don't see on stage, but you can hear them so well. And that's usually not an issue, in my personal opinion, from symphonic metal, because, well, backing tracks are sort of a no-brainer. You kind of have no choice. You're going to need them for that. Unless, of course, you can find a way to fit the whole fucking symphony in that bar. You're shit out of luck. But what about in general, backing tracks in general? There's been a lot of flack especially recently, flown at Motley Crue, uh, as recent fan footage, just keeps showing more and more instances of backing tracks being used, especially for singer Vince Neil, to, mostly to cover up his ability, his inability to perform behind the mic. So with that in mind, let's settle this once and for all. I want to hear from you on this one, at The Metal Robot, Facebook and Twitter, at The Dot Metal Robot on Instagram. I want to hear your thoughts on the subject. What do you think about backing tracks? Do you think they're good? you think they're bad? Let's get your thoughts on this, and we're going to jump straight into it on Instagram, at The Dot Metal Robot. we got a couple responses here. Um, first ones uh, I saw from uh, Sean Ork Adams, bands always get a Pass for backtracking keyboards, but not other instruments. Hmm, that's a good point, actually. And that's kind of the thing that makes this whole debate a little more controversial than I think it needs to be, because there is a clear disconnect here between, oh, like if you're using keyboard, that's fine. You got keyboards, that's fine. Backtracks for guitars, bass, vocals, drums, <gasps> how dare they? And yeah, I hear that point for sure. Um, and this is mostly from my personal opinion here. I definitely agree that there's a bit of a disconnect there. But when it comes to the controversy surrounding whether or not backing tracks should be used, well, that was I don't think that's really in discussion here. And there's a simple reason for that, because when it comes to uh, keyboards, you're kind of expecting at that point. A lot of it comes down to, I think, you know the keyboard's there. You see the person there. Even if they are using backing tracks and samples, you can see them there. You see them right th front and center. Uh, and that's why, like with symphonic metal, it usually gets a pass there. And even when it comes to, uh, like, say, new metal, if there's, like, samples in there that are being used, like DJ stuff, you can see the person working it. You can see the person working the instrument. I think a lot of it comes down to just the uncanny valley as well that, that's being talked about before when it comes to backing tracks, uh, in that if you cannot see the instrument, is it really there? I don't see the instrument, but why do I hear it? Why do I hear it there? And if you don't know why you can't hear it there, that kind of creates a bit of a, a disconnect. It takes you out of the experience sometimes. But of course, it's all situational. Again, with keyboards, yeah, you can't see them playing the full orchestra, but you see them there. You know at least roughly why they're there. They're playing their instrument. They're doing the, the whole thing there. And uh, I believe I believe it's the same person uh, who, it's from Orcumentary. Uh, and on Facebook, 
at the Metal Robot. I use them as backup if any one of us has to cancel last minute. This is a very good point here. That way show must go on, and aside from that, I think that miming performances is dishonest and shouldn't be done. And that is really the key thing here, is that the miming is the issue. It's not necessarily with the backing tracks as a whole, and that's something I personally agree on. If it's backing tracks for the sake of mimicry of for covering up a bad performance, well, yeah, that's obviously bad. Don't do that. But most people tend to not understand the difference there. There are the backing tracks for mimicry for uh, for uh, covering up bad performances. Are they the same as backing tracks that are used in symphonic performances for where uh, an actual orchestra cannot be utilized? And honestly, I don't think that's there's even a comparison there. If you're if you have backing tracks. For band members that aren't there, for members of the of the song that just aren't present, whether it be for a symphony or even in the case of, say, Periphery, who obviously does not have a permanent bass player to play live with, are going to have bass tracks in the live version as a backing track. Moments like those are, I think personally, are fine, but... There's it's also because that's something that everybody knows is happening. Like, yes, you can hear the bass, but everybody knows why the bass is not the there's no bass player on stage. Um, but you at least understand those guys have proven time and time again. Periphery has proven time and time again they can fucking play their instruments like a madman. Um, it's mostly it's it, at that point they don't need to prove themselves so they can play. I got one last one here. I'll make this super quick because we're about to we're about to run out of time here for the segment. But um, this one's from Gaia Gawardag back on Instagram. Um, um, Gaia Gaia saying here. Quote, I think they are good. It's impossible for a small artist to have all the instruments that we put in our songs. And I have a lot of those uh, those lines. Are, uh, sorry. And I a lot of those lines are vital for the song to be authentic live. Well, I agree. Again, that's kind of going to the point here of like you bring, you know, the instruments are there and it's part of the song. That's why symphonic metal usually gets a pass. I do think there's a bigger, wider discussion there on what counts as authentic in terms of a live performance. What, what is the definition of authentic live? Are you looking for authenticity in terms of, yeah, we're actually playing this right now live or authentic as in we're recreating the studio live experience. So you're making sure that the studio tracks are heard even in the live performance. That's where a lot another discussion could be had here of what counts as an authentic live performance. But that's a story for another time. I'll leave it there. Uh, the posts are, of course, still up on the social media pages on Facebook and Twitter at the Metal Robot, Instagram at the dot Metal Robot. You can leave your thoughts there, even if they weren't shared here in this discussion. You can use the hashtag MRP backing track or tag me at those places. This discussion, I guarantee you, is not going away anytime soon. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. And finally, let's wrap up the show with some Doom Metal. For the Sins' latest offering of Blackened Doom is Black Terrain. It came out last October, just before Halloween as you would hope to expect, and it's a solid hour-long experience of hard yet slow sludging doom metal. So back around then, I sat down with one of their members, Ascalifus, who's credited for guitars, vocals, plus keyboards, and according to the Metal Archive, something called a harmonium. 
I have no idea either. So let's go further back in time to see how that went with Fortheson on the Metal Robot Podcast. Ascalifus, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I just found out that Ascalifus is a is a nickname and not necessarily your actual birth name, which is slightly disappointing. But you know, it's, it happens. Life happens. So, well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on to the Metal Robot Podcast. Let's start. I like to start when it comes to guests that I have on for the first time. I like to start with allowing them to introduce themselves and the band. You know, who are you? Who is for listen, and uh, what are you guys about? I'm Escalifus, uh, and uh, yeah, I am uh, the chief uh, songwriter for for Leeson, um, and uh, we are currently a four piece band. Uh, began as a three piece, or actually began as as uh, between myself and uh, uh, Bezalith uh, in uh, San Francisco at the end of 2016. Uh, then uh, came on a little bit later, um, who. Uh, he, uh, you know, most notably to, to me, uh, was, uh, the drummer on, uh, KO Dot's Choirs of the Eye. Um, and, uh, I, I will get into sort of, uh, individual histories in a moment, but, um, uh, Petit Albert, uh, joined us for, uh, this last album, uh, and played a big role in sort of helping, uh, with a lot of sound design elements and just kind of getting a lot of little subtle details in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, um, uh, Bezalus and I, uh, known each other since, uh, working together in Botanist. Um, and, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we toured together and it was sort of the type of thing of like, oh, we'd like to do some, make some more music together at some point. And eventually the time became right. Uh, and in particular, a time when, uh, everything seemed like it was going wrong, uh, and wanting to make music that, uh, you know, uh, felt like it reflected that and uh the world has not disappointed for uh for fuel for that sense um uh and um yeah i would say uh as far as what we're about um you know i mean we long form compositions uh it's uh you know uh generally uh you know kind of half jokingly referred to the music as, uh, as sort of being some, some variation of the blues. Uh, you know, I, I heard a quote attributed to Towns Van Zandt. There's two types of music, the blues and zippity doo Uh, and, so, <laughs> and, uh, but in that, in that sense, it is very much, it's like, you know, drawing from all of the different traditions within that, that there, you know, that there are two, you know, and, uh, you know, and finding the overlap within them. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think we began, uh, you know, Bezalith and I both, uh, into soundtrack music, into stuff like Wendy Carlos. And, um, you know, we're kind of interested in doing things that were a little bit more textural like that. And then that kind of grew into having more rock elements in it, rock and metal. So you mentioned that you, uh, that you guys got together, uh, because it was you and, uh, Bezalith. How did the other, everybody else come in? Zaleth was no longer playing with Botanist at the time, uh, but, you know, the last thing that I did with Botanist uh, was a European tour, uh, and we toured with KO Dot at that point. Um, and, you know, uh, Zaleth and I had sort of written this album with using drum programming and wanted to bring a real drummer uh, into it, and uh, this is the first album. Uh, and... So I'd reached out to KO Dot for uh, to the drummer that we had uh, 
you know, had been playing with them at the time, asking whether uh, they might be available for session work. Uh, they were no longer playing the drums at that point, but they uh, referred us to uh, to Malleus, who uh, was actually already out in the Bay Area uh, and uh, played on, you know, like I was mentioning, one of my uh, really a very uh, formative album for me, uh, that, that KO.Dot album. And uh, Patisse Albert was already uh, playing with Lotus Thief, um, you know, with uh, Beth's other project. And then I've eventually also become involved with that as well. Uh, and um, Bezalith was actually moving across the country. And uh, so Patisse Albert and I got to uh, know each other better, got to start working together. And even after I moved, it was something where, you know, we 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 found that we worked very very well together, um, and yeah, I think that that's that's basically it. Well, I feel like you guys do uh, in some ways work together pretty well because you're able to come up with that uh, is such a massive composition of songs. And looking at the the uh, the credits here, looking at the band list, it looks like you guys have a aside from of course Melius who just plays drums a lot of you guys have a lot of overlapping roles within the band. I'm seeing a couple vocalists. I'm seeing a couple bass players and guitar players. You guys kind of overlap a lot. What is the writing process like for this, for this project in that regard? Um, you know, at this point I'm the uh, primary songwriter. Um, you know, I think the, uh, the first album was a little bit more, you know, I'd have an idea, uh, send something over to Bezzley, she'd write some part, uh, you know, we'd each kind of get excited by the parts that the other person wrote and then layer on top of each other's. Uh, this, uh, you know, Black Terrain, um, you know, is basically started that process and sort of a time when it was like, oh, you know, I, I this could be a time that I'd hand it off to you. And uh, she was in the middle of moving uh, and, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on in our respective lives. I was just sort of, if you know what happens next, write it. And, um, so I did. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's kind of become the template moving forward, but it's still a matter of like, okay, you know, wrote the fundamental, you know, the, the foundational part. And then, uh, then we all work together to figure out how do we make this as dense as possible? How do we, you know, how do we make this as, uh, just as, as good as it can be. How, how can we make this so that people are still catching new details like the 20th time that they're hearing it? Right. Which brings us, of course, to that new album, Black Terrain. It came out October 28th. Uh, and there's, especially when it comes to longer songs, I mean, this album features the shortest song on the album is nine minutes long and the longest is over more than double that. When it comes to that kind of that when it comes to writing longer songs, it can be very easy for a lot of amateur songwriters to fall into the trap of just writing until they literally cannot anymore. And it's the least cohesive songs they can come up with. And it's <laughs> the most, it's very, very easy for those songs to also become boring if you're not careful. But when it comes to this album, a lot of the songs, they didn't really feel boring. They were pretty interesting. And especially that's not an easy thing to do when you're writing a music that is is so slow and so plotting and very kind of heavy and atmospheric. It still kind of worked here though. Was that something when you were writing this album that you were worried about, uh, about falling into the pit of? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, 
at any point in the compositional process, hopefully we're making decisions where it's like, hopefully this doesn't suck right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like if, if we veer into an area, we're like, Oh, that might be shit. Uh, that, uh, you know, maybe it's time to make a different decision. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, or, or, or not, you know, maybe, maybe that's where, maybe that's where the danger is, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, which, uh, but you know, no. I mean, I think I think we can discern between those two things. But I, but uh, you know, I joke. That said, you know, there, there can be things where it's like, oh, going someplace where it's like, oh, this feels like kind of a weird, you know, like feels almost uncomfortable sometimes. And then that that can actually be evidence that something is going right. I think mm-hmm. uh, within within the artistic process. Um, but you know, I. I grew up listening to Typo Negative. Uh, I've been a fan of, you know, Swans and, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe they're a little less of an influence on me, but bands like Asunder and, you know, long songs are just, they're not, uh, they're not all that strange to me. And really, you know, I mean, hell, uh, Weakling, uh, you know, like I think the song Dead as Dreams by Weakling is just that, that's kind of a, a pinnacle for me of, of, of the U S black metal scene and, and like just one of my all time favorite black metal songs. And, uh, that's 20 minutes long. And, you know, so looking for, I think the songs let you know when they're done, if you know how to listen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have been sort of attempting to execute this music for a while and <laughs> I've probably just gotten a bit better at making it interesting with time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think is that I think that's definitely something that comes a lot with practice. But I still is it was a funny thing. Like uh, when I was preparing for this interview this morning, I remember I grabbed the album from from my emails, and I, I like I didn't know a whole lot before going before going into the album uh, about what this what the genre even was. So when I saw oh it's four tracks, we have an EP here. This will be easy to digest before my interview today. <laughs> And then, of course, I loaded it up into the music player and I saw 59 minutes. I was like, oh, it's an EP. All right. It's an extended play. So I I don't know why people listen to me. So anyways, when it comes to the length of the album, I remember seeing in an interview with uh, I I forget the channel name, uh, Metalheads Forever. Uh, You were Mm -hmm. talking about, I believe, that uh, the one of the songs that became 19 minutes was written with a, a single melody idea, I believe. And then it just became 19 minutes. What, was that the same process for the rest of the album? You know, I'd say that the the last song, I think I might have made reference to this as well, but uh, the last song, the guitar part, um, or actually, I mean, there's a lot of guitar on it, but the, the part where there are drums, um, that chord progression was written years ago and was something that I sort of had the basic idea for the song um, back then lyrics changed a little bit and, you know, figured out arrangement for this. But so with that, it was sort of kind of knowing like, okay, and I want something, you know, like an ambient journey to get to there. And then this will be kind of the culmination of the album. Uh, But, you know, I think a lot of the time with writing, there's a sense of like, okay, there's going, you know, you can hear a seed of, uh, it's going to get here in the song. And then it's a matter of like, how do you know, when you know where you're going, it's a little bit easier to get there. Um, but, uh, that said, it's also, um, leaving room to be surprised, you know, in the process, uh, you know, um, 
letting letting the seeds of inspiration take you on on the path and following them and uh if they're good just you know making them as good as they can be uh, was the length of the songs like something you that you were striving for uh, i believe you mentioned that uh, that you that you of course you listen to a lot of influences that have longer songs some of your favorite songs are longer was that intentional for this album or for projects or any of the songs period <laughs> no no it's it's a, it's a it's a valid question and i think you know, with the first album, we specifically chose like, okay, let's, uh, you know, like Pink Floyd's Echoes was a reference point and just thinking of sides of vinyl, uh, you know, and um, so I think we, we chose that as like, okay, let's write two pieces of music that feel like two sides of a vinyl. And I think that sort of set a template for us in a way of uh, that I kind of continued in that pattern with this album. So I think there was a consciousness of writing long form songs. Um, that's not to say that the band would never ever write shorter songs. Um, but, uh, I don't, it didn't feel like an accident either. <laughs> well, in that, in that case, when it comes to this album, uh, 59 minutes, was that something that you were hoping that you would land on or would you, what did you want to try for something shorter or were you hoping to go long enough to come to compete with a dream theater double album? <laughs> You know, it's it's funny to me because I I, I guess I, I'm realizing more and more that these days an hour is considered to be a very long album by a lot of people, and that was that just didn't used to be my perspective on things at all. Like growing up, I feel like I got albums all the time that were like, "How much music can we fit on the CD?" Right. If yeah. it was a good album, then I was excited about that. You know, I mean, it gave me something to. Uh, to digest over time. And like, you know, like some, I mean, uh, some of those typo negative albums have songs that I certainly skip, but, uh, you know, they, they also, uh, there, there are, there's a lot to, to sit with. There's a lot to be with there. And, um, you know, or, you know, it's the same with black metal. I can think of, of, you know, black metal albums that I got that were like 70 minutes you know, plus that were also just sort of, uh, it's, it's just a different experience. So I think with the, uh, with the first album, it was at a length that, uh, you know, I, I, I think is very much an album, but you know, 36 minutes is definitely, it's, it's on the, what some people consider to be the shorter side or some people, you know, we've even had people ask whether it was an EP. Um, and, uh, with this one, I think it was just a, I think it was just a sense of like, okay, I want to paint with a broader, uh, paint upon a broader canvas. That's fair. So yeah. given that the album released a couple months ago at the time of this recording, what's in the future for this project? Is there something already in the works for the future? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. A few things. Um, uh, we have one thing that is close to completion that. Should come out as a split sometime next year. Uh, it's uh, early to announce anything official there, but um, just uh, it kind of a uh, a single single composite, a single uh, not even. How much information do I want to give about it? <laughs> it's give a, us all uh, the details, all of that. It's a performance of a traditional song, uh, which hmm. I think might be a little bit unexpected. Uh, for us and I think it's turning out really cool um, and you know it'll be a it'll be a split single but uh, when you're talking about songs at the length that we do them uh, you know certainly at least EP length uh, be between between the two projects 
Um, and aside from that, album three is well underway. Uh, you know, have, uh, have over an hour's worth of music that is, uh, in some stage of being, you know, of recording right now. That's pretty cool. I, I'm sure many people are looking forward to that. And I know I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, so the final question that I have here is, uh, a pretty basic one, but it's a very important one as well. I ask everybody this question and we need to know the people need to know. If you could be any cereal box character, who would you be? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sure too many people say Count Chocula. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, and I don't know. Then I feel like that's a little Demi Borgir, uh, which is not, not my style. Um, but, uh, gosh. I, uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe Tony the Tiger, uh, or just one of those ones, and then just like randomly maul some small child, uh, you know, uh, just have the unexpected element there. Yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm still, I'm still laughing at the part where you're like, I'm sure like too many people have already said Count Chocula. I was like, you've been listening to this show, haven't you? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh my god, that is like the number one answer, I believe, Count Chocula. That's the answer everybody goes for, and. I, I like, I always laugh at it because it's like kind of funny, like, yeah, count chocolate, but no one's ever pointed out that that's the number one answer. And I appreciate that so much. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Black terrain is out now. Uh, you can get it on streaming platforms. I believe you can also get it on uh, Bandcamp. Uh, I'll have links to all of that down in the podcast description for you to check out. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Escalifis for his time to talk all things For the Sin and Black Terrain. The album is out now, by the way. You can get it wherever you listen to music, though make sure you set some time aside for it. It's a bit of a big one. Honest to God, I was not kidding about the EP mess up either. I legit thought it was going to be an EP. It, it seems simple enough. In the folder, there's a, have the album, four tracks. You just got to listen to it, write down the questions and do so just before you go on the Zoom call. Cool. It's four tracks. Not a problem. Loaded them up into my music player. Oh, cool. 58 minutes long. Fuck. I should have timed that out. I guess lesson learned for sure. If you're ever going to do interviews where you need to have the music, at least an idea of what you're listening to, always prepare well in advance. You just listened to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. And that's all the time we've got for you today. But before we head for those doors, let me tee up for what's to come in the next episode. APOC, of course, returns to continue our talk about the Awakening Abhorrence in the Atlantic tour that just ended. It was a great tour from what I've heard, and we head into Hexatropolis 2.0, the world of Augment. All this and so much more in the next episode. In the meantime, thanks for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can follow the show on the internet, YouTube, Metal Robot Reviews, Facebook and Twitter at The Metal Robot, Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot, or head on over to our online hub, TheMetalRobot.com, for all this and so much more. Special thanks to APOC for the sin, and of course to you, the beautiful Metal Robot listeners, for listening every week and as well contributing to the last segment about backing tracks. I'm Tom McKay. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more be sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts i'll see you in the mosh pit next time have a good night oh.